This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. There were two mountaineers, two climbers on a mountain, and they were tied together by the rope. And one of them slipped and slid down and went over the cliff. And the other one, and so he's hanging there over the cliff, and the other one couldn't find any, any ground. He couldn't put his, his ax into anything. He couldn't find any ground. And he was slowly moving also toward the cliff as well. So what do you think he did? Took out his knife, and he cut the rope. Now just picture that. His partner is falling to his death so he could be saved. But what he didn't know was that his partner did fall, but landed on very soft snow below. And others came and took him to the base camp. Now, if you were that climber that cut the rope and you returned to the base camp and saw your partner alive, how would you feel? (laughs) How would you feel? Troubled at his presence? They were troubled at his presence. Now, in verse five, we can see the specific reaction of the brothers when they saw Joseph. It says there in verse five, as you can see, they were grieved and angry. They were grieved and angry. But verse five further goes on to tell us who they were mad at, who they were angry with. Verse five, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. They were angry with themselves for the sins that they did when they sold Joseph into Egypt. And what we see in this, verse five, is a picture of what true, real repentance looks like. Repentance always results in a deep grief in the soul and an anger with self. In order for anyone to be saved, He's got to have a verse five experience. There must be this deep grief in the soul and an anger with himself for the sins that he decided to do. This is what separates genuine repentance and conversion. It's deep in the soul 
from a superficial, verbal-only, false conversion. It's this deep grief in the soul and anger with self over the decisions to sin. And if there's not a verse five, deep grief in the soul and anger with self over sins, there's just not a genuine repentance. There's not a genuine conversion. You know, after I gave this message, someone came up to me afterward who said, from what you said, I can now see the difference between being a Christian and being saved. Being a Christian and being saved. I wouldn't have said it that way, but that's what it came across. All right. So that's what man does to be converted. Man repents with a deep grief in the soul and a anger with self. And then in the next words of Joseph, we see what God does in this conversion process. Joseph could not have been more calming to them. He could not have been more comforting to his brothers than to say that when they sold him as a slave, that it was really, verse five, God did send me before you to preserve life. I mean, once the brothers showed this grief and they had this anger with self, then Joseph steps right in with words to comfort them, to tell them it was really God that was sending him to Egypt, and that's what God does for the sinner. He, that's what God does for the sinner who's grieved and angry with himself. As he said, God said in Isaiah 40, verse one, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. God commands us, comfort the sinner that feels the grief in the soul and the anger with self, comfort. He says in Isaiah 66, 13, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in, in Jerusalem. As one I mean, think about that. As one whom his mother comforteth, not his father, but his how does a mother comfort a kid? With the greatest comfort you can imagine, and that's God says, that's a picture of my comfort. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. Now, Joseph next reveals where his heart really is and what he's really concerned about in verse six. In verse six, when he said, these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring, earring nor harvest. This, what this is showing us in verse six is Joseph's mentality. It's showing us Joseph's state of mind. Joseph is very focused on the fact that two years of the famine have passed, and there are five years of the famine remaining. So what Joseph is doing here, he has one eye on the past two years, and the other eye, he's got on the coming five years of famine, and he is acutely aware of the fact there's not gonna be any harvest during the next five years. He's looking at the two that have gone and the five that are coming. This is a two down, five to go concern. Two down, five to go concern in his life. And this scene with Joseph, with his two down, five to go concern, it's challenging for us personally I mean, I wonder, do you have a list like I do of lost people that you regularly pray for? Do you have a list like that? You got a list like that? Lost people, yeah, sure you do. And have you ever experienced, as I have, that some of those lost people on your prayer list have died? You ever had that happen? <laughs> just this last week, just a few couple days ago, we had a shock and because in our company, one of our staff, who had worked for us for 11 years, was only 44 years old, he died. He died. And it all started one month ago when he was found non-responsive at his desk, and we all thought it was all under control. 
when he was discharged from the hospital with a treatment plan, dialysis and so forth, then death came, only 44 years old. And I thought to myself, did he make the decision to be saved? I don't know. But what I do know is that I've spoken at every quarterly breakfast meeting for the company four times a year. I speak at every Christmas um, meal for the company. And I always try to bring the gospel. And I know that the gospel was heard by him about at least 50 times. But the time for the gospel decision, it's now passed away also. It's now over. And so I have experienced, as you have, lost people on the prayer list that die. And it's so disturbing when I come down across that to that person to realize, oh, no, no, I can't pray for that one anymore for their salvation because they are now in the post-death eternity. It's already begun. And so, you know, when that first happened to me, when a lost person on my prayer list died, I started to delete that person from my prayer list. And then I decided, no, I won't do that. I'm gonna leave that person's name on my prayer list, even though it irritates me. Because I come across, no, you can't pray for that one. You can't pray for that one. Because it's a reminder for the two down, five to go concern. Two down, five to go. And that's what we see in verse six. So whenever their names appear on the list, it reminds me the short limits that there are with life on earth. It reminds me to pray while I can before the light goes out until I can't pray. It reminds me to witness while I can until I can't. And this short limit, the limits on time, you know, it really came home to me and being in Japan again reminded me of the times when we would have these full five meetings in a day business schedule in Japan. And they weren't all at one place. They were in this company or this hospital and that hospital. We we're just traversing all over Tokyo and using the subways and the trains and the taxis. And the only problem was that whenever we'd get to some place, it was either a shop or a little stall in the train station, I just became like a kid and became amused with all these things that they have in Japan. I wanted to buy, I, I had to buy the, the handkerchiefs that they were selling there. I had to buy the paper clips. I had to buy the dried squid. I had to buy everything, you know. So I was like, you know, wandering around. We were trying to get this meeting. And, and Dr. Miyoga would always go through the same routine. He would say, time is limited. He would go, time is limited. And, and this, is what, this, is, this is what's happening with Joseph here. This two down, five to go concern was Joseph's way of saying time is limited. Time is limited. I mean, I was thinking about this when I was returning from Japan on Friday, and very irritating flights. All the flights are irritating. You know, this is the 13 hours, even though it, you know, they say, when the pilot comes up, says, oh, we got a fast one, we're gonna make it in nine hours, and it's just irritating. Everything's irritating. And sitting out, you can't sleep, and it's, uh, it's gone. Anyway, and so we had arrived there in, in LAX airport. You think there's a lot of people crammed into Japan? There's more people crammed into LAX airport. It's a traumatic experience. Anyway, so we're in this LAX airport and taking the shuttle bus there to the terminal, the regional terminal. And, and there sat across from me a couple. And the man, how do you remember Simpson's nursery? Remember Mr. Simpson? Remember what he looked like with the, with the handlebar mustache and all? This man looked like him. It wasn't him. He would look like a rancher with a handlebar mustache and his wife, she was coiffed, and she didn't look that way. She didn't look like a, a rancher, but they were married. And I noticed that she had an East Coast accent. 
So I asked her, where is she from? And she said, New York. And I said, from the city? And she said, yes. And I thought, she's from the Holy Land, New York City. And, and, and so I said, are you Jewish? Now, the bus is cram-packed with people and all kinds of people, and she didn't know who I was. She didn't know all the people who were standing around there. And, and she, was, she knew she wasn't in the Holy Land, New York City. So she got frightened. She got a frightened look on her face. And she said with a very low voice, yes, and how did you know? <laughs> like that. And I wanted to send a message to her, don't worry, I'm a friend. I'm, I'm, I'm a friend, not a foe. And I wanted to tell her that I was Jewish. So I, I just said, because you look like one of my relatives. And then I took out my testimony book which has got the big, bold letters on there, the Lord Jesus Christ, how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I gave it to her, and she took it, and she looked it over at the cover. She perused through the booklet, and then she looked at her husband with this smile of, how did he know? And then her husband looked at her with this look of, God knows. And she turned back to me and she said, may I keep this? And I said, sure. Now, it was, it just was very clear to me, it seemed, as though she was a believer, and I mean, he was a believer, and his wife was not yet a believer, but on the way. And then I thought of God saying to me, and you thought your trip was all about going to Japan. Your trip was all about this meeting this lost Jewish lady on the shuttle bus coming home from Japan. Now, on that shuttle bus, after flying all those hours and very irritating flights from Japan, tired, irritated, the only thing I wanted to do was go home and find my bed. And the bus is packed with people. And what drives us? What drives us to come out of our shell when we're exhausted to speak to strangers about the Lord? Verse 6, two down, five to go, concern. That's what drives us to pray when we can for the lost, and to witness while we can, it's all about this two down, five to go concern. You know, it's a whole lot easier just to sit back and wait for someone to come and ask us for the reason of the hope that lies within us. And I was thinking about at the airports, because you know, you go to airport, LAX airport, and I read all these airports. And I was thinking about, and they all have these information desks, you know, and where you have a question and you go to ask the person at the information desk, and some Christians like to sit at the information desk and wait for someone to come up and ask them for the reason of the hope that lies within them. And it's a whole lot easier to sit in the information desk and wait for someone to come and ask you for the gospel rather than to get up and go out from behind the information desk and start, people, start, ask, start talking to people without being asked. But coming out from behind the information desk is what is meant by the word preach. When the Lord said in Mark 16, 15, Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's saying, get out from the information desk, go out and encounter people, speak to people. We have to be driven to come out from behind the information desk. And it's verse six that drives us out. Two down, five to go. That's the concern. And in verse seven, Joseph said, God sent me before you to save lives. Joseph was saying that all that he suffered, all that he endured, had the ultimate purpose of going before his brothers to save their lives, to bring them to safety. 
And that's where this verse seven is so important when he said, God sent me before you to save your lives. It's an illustration for us of Deuteronomy 1.30. Deuteronomy 1.30 where the Lord says, the Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. I mean, doesn't this statement in verse seven describe the Lord Jesus? Like when Joseph said, God sent me before you to save your lives in Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord your God goes before you to fight for us. I mean, here we are on earth, there we, there we were on earth, there we are on earth, we're on earth, going right down the middle of the road to hell. And there God is in heaven, and just like it says of Joseph, God the Father sends the Lord Jesus Christ to go before us to save our lives. He's sent by God the Father to go before us. He becomes a man in order to go before us to save our lives. As a man, he went before us through death to do Hebrews 10, 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, bringing many sons to glory. Can't you just picture that? Can't you just picture us as the sheep of the Lord? and the Lord, the shepherd, going before us and saying, now come on, now come on, follow me, come on. I'm gonna lead you to glory. And just like Joseph went through the suffering in order to bring his brothers to life, so the Lord went through the cross in order to bring us to life, what we've been singing about tonight. And then in verse seven, when Joseph said that he was sent by God to save their lives, it shows us something of the heart of Joseph. He really, genuinely, truly wanted to be reconciled with his brothers these are the brothers who wanted to kill him. These are the brothers who envied him and hated him. It reminds me of a Christian one time that was working alongside of a Jewish man, and I said to him, I said to the Christian, why don't you tell him that you want to spend eternity with him? And the Christian turned to me and says, because I don't want to spend eternity with him. It's bad enough I have to work with him. Well, Joseph did not see his brothers for what they had been as the murderous group that wanted to kill him in the waterless pit. And he did not see his brothers as betraying as they were when they sold him into Egypt. What Joseph saw was he looked beyond that. He looked beyond their past and he visualized what his Christians would be like if they were saved by God, changed by the Spirit of God. And that's what made Joseph want to be with them when he said in verse four, come near to me, Joseph wanted to spend eternity with his brothers. And that's the key for us. How are we gonna love our enemies? How are we gonna love the unlovable in our lives? It's not to focus on what they have been and maybe still are, but it's to see beyond that. It's to visualize what they would be in life if they were saved like Joseph did with his brothers. So when Joseph said to his brothers, he's transitioning now. He starts off in verse three, I am Joseph. He goes further in verse four, I am Joseph, your brother. That's very significant. You know, at first he says, I am Joseph, your, I am Joseph, that's all, in verse three. Then he says in verse four, I am Joseph, your brother. I mean, if the brothers were talking, they wouldn't say, hey, it's Joseph, our brother, it would just say, it's Joseph. They wouldn't have said, he is Joseph, our brother. But this is what makes the difference, and this is where Joseph says, what he says in verse four, so important, I am Joseph, your brother. We might need air. air conditioning. Joseph, your brother. But what Joseph's statement was, I am Joseph, your brother, it meant that something very important. When Joseph's brothers sold Joseph as a slave, 
they had divorced themselves from Joseph. But even though Joseph's brothers divorced themselves from Joseph, when Joseph said, I am your brother, Joseph was saying to them, even though you have divorced yourself from me, I never divorced myself from you. Joseph was not like Cain. See, Cain divorced himself from his brother Abel, and that was the whole point of Genesis 4.9. Genesis 4.9, when it says, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel? He didn't say, where is Abel? But he said, where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, and Cain said, and he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? See, God called Abel his brother, and Cain divorced himself from his brother. After all, he killed him. And we don't wanna be like Cain. When someone makes us angry, and someone gets on the wrong side of us, what we unconsciously do, we divorce ourselves. We can call him brother, but we don't mean it. To be like Cain is to kill others in our mind and to divorce ourselves from them. Cain never would have said, hello, I'm Cain, Abel's brother. He never would have said that. And that's why it's so important. So even though Joseph's brothers divorced themselves from Joseph, Joseph never divorced himself from them. Zathnath Paneach was not happy until he was Joseph, their brother, again. And that's a picture of God as Joseph. Joseph is a picture of God in regard to the Jewish people, the, his brothers, the Jewish people. They are the Jewish people. They were the Jewish people. But anyway, when the Jewish people rejected their God, the Lord Jesus, when they rejected their God, when they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, they rejected their God. And they said very significant words. In a parable they said in Luke 19, 14, Luke 19, 14, we will not have this man reign over us. And then they said in Luke 23, 18, Luke 23, 18, they cried out all at once saying, away with this man. They wouldn't even say his name. Away with this man and release unto us, not this man, but Barabbas. They gave more honor to Barabbas. And when the Jewish people did that, they divorced themselves from the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Joseph's brothers did. But just like Joseph, even though the Jewish people have divorced themselves from the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus never divorced himself from the Jewish people. And that's what he meant when he said in Malachi 2.16, Malachi 2.16, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away or divorce. Or in Psalm 137.5, Psalm 137.5, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. And then he said in Isaiah 62.6, the Lord said in Isaiah 62.6, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. We're gonna be doing that at the end of the service here for 15 minutes. We're gonna take our position as watchmen on the wall and we're not gonna give God peace. Day and night, we're gonna have a specific prayer request. And it says, and give him no rest until he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This verse is a very disturbing verse in John 1.11. It's very disturbing. When it says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own is referring to the Jewish people. He came to his own Jewish people, and his own Jewish people received him not. This verse, John 1.11, is the tragedy of the universe. It's the tragedy of the universe. When he came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.